Good morning to all. Hello. I've been away a couple weeks, so if you've been away also, I didn't know it, but I was gone, <laughs> gone a week on a, uh, answer, our 30th wedding anniversary, so we went away. And then last week I was confirming it, uh, which, which roughly cor corresponds to how long I've been here, so it's, uh, anyway, the way I confirmed at St. Mary Magdalene last Sunday, so it's good to be back with everybody. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Our Gospel tells us that tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus, were attracted to him, and that he was even having meals with them. The religious authorities, the scribes and Pharisees in the Gospel, view these people as unclean. They would not be allowed into the temple or the synagogue or even into an observant religious home for that matter. However, the main point of, of this interaction of Jesus with the tax collectors not, is not that Jesus ate with the unclean as much as it is that Jesus rejects the entire system of the Pharisees that made these distinctions. The definitions that labeled tax collectors and sinners unclean do not come from the Old Testament. They come from the tradition that developed in the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. There is no prohibition in the Old Testament about tax collecting for the simple reason that there weren't any tax collectors in the Old Testament. There were periods of time when Israel existed under foreign dominion, but there, were no, there was no professional class of people who were tasked with extracting money from Israelites on behalf of those governments. We assume that the sinners included prostitutes. That's our usual assumption. This is what we're talking about there. While the Torah was strict about sexual purity, there are some surprising stories in the Old Testament. For example, Tamar, the widowed daughter-in-law of Judah, dresses up like a prostitute to entrap Judah into an affair that produces a child. There's more to the story, but it's there. And there's Rahab, the prostitute, who helps Israel to uh, conquer and destroy her hometown. The only no a notable thing about Rahab is that she becomes an ancestor of Christ. It's not that the Old Testament approves of this profession, it's just that the, we can see clearly that the attitude of the Pharisees is not rooted in the Old Testament. There aren't any Pharisees in the Old Testament. They developed as an order in this period of time between the end of the Old and the beginning of the New Testament. Some people think the word Pharisee is related to the word Farsi and points to a, an origin in Persia during the time of the Jewish exile there. The person closest to being a Pharisee in the Old Testament is Nehemiah. We are currently reading Nehemiah at evening prayer. We read last week, we have another week of excerpts from Nehemiah. Nehemiah was zealous for the Torah, beating up people, physically beating up people who dared to work on the Sabbath day. Nehemiah is one of the last people we meet in the Old Testament and it's easy to see how uh, characters li a character like Nehemiah could develop into the concerns and focus of, of the Pharisees. 
Israel was exiled to Babylon at the end of the Old Testament in the year 586 BC. The Babylonians were conquered by the Persians who allowed the Jewish people to go back and rebuild the temples. There was a great interaction between the Jews and the Persians. And um, though the, the Persians allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple, Israel never again regained that favored and God-blessed status that Israel enjoyed during the golden age of Kings David and Solomon. And the vexing religious question for pious Jewish people was, why? And also, what would it take to get back there? The prophets had said that Israel went into exile because Israel had failed to keep the Torah. So the Pharisees became to use the biblical word, zealous for the Torah. The idea was that if Israel again became zealous for the Torah, and if the Pharisees get everyone to be zealous for the Torah, God would rise up, pass judgment in favor of Israel, defeat Israel's Gentile enemies, and restore the nation to her former glory, and also the glory that the prophets promised would come back. To help in this exercise of zealousness, a tradition developed in this time between the end of the Old and the beginning of the New Testament. This included additional regulations designed to build a fence around the Torah. If one were zealous to observe the traditions, one would never run any risk of getting near an actual Torah violation. That was the idea. Thus, the Torah said to keep the Sabbath day holy, and the tradition developed a list of activities that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath that defined that Sabbath day observance. The Pharisees' complaints about Jesus were about his violation of this tradition, not about Jesus' violation of any particular Torah command per se. Jesus' indictment of the Pharisees was that their observance of this tradition often served to undermine the true intentions of the Torah. When Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, he was rejecting the false definition between clean and unclean that had developed after the Old Testament. The converted Pharisee, St. Paul, explains the central error of the Pharisees in his New Testament writing. Though the Torah does indeed reveal God's will and desire for Israel, the purpose of the Torah for Israel was to actually highlight sin, to highlight Israel's inability to keep it. As St. Paul writes in Romans, quote, no human being will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law or Torah, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Thus, if I claim to be righteous because I keep the Torah, while claiming that you are not righteous because you don't, I am missing the central point of the Torah, namely that neither of us fulfills the righteous requirements of the Torah. The Pharisees were not, in fact, more righteous than the tax collectors and sinners. They had hidden sins of envy and greed 
that were every bit as defiling as the mere fact that tax collectors touched Roman coins. The Son of God became man to fulfill the righteous requirements of the Torah for Israel, on Israel's behalf. His life and behavior epitomized the Torah. He is literally the Torah made flesh. We are saved by Jesus' Torah faithfulness, by his doing for us on our behalf what we could not do. He shares his righteousness with us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we receive through faith. In the Spirit, by grace, we can begin to love God and love our neighbor in a manner that fulfills the Torah. See Romans chapter 8, verse 4. However, this righteousness is a gift. It results from our continual experience of God's grace. It is not a personal merit that makes us better than others. Jesus is also the new temple. The temple was the place where people went to offer sacrifice for their sin and be made clean. This explains what Jesus is doing in our gospel story. The Pharisees thought that the sinners would pollute Jesus by their contact with him, but in fact the infection was working in the other direction. As sinners put their faith in Jesus, those sinners were being made clean and being made righteous by Jesus. By rejecting Jesus, the supposedly righteous Pharisees were separating themselves from God's people. Jesus reconfigured Israel around not the Torah, but himself, the Torah made flesh. And the gospel today gives us a picture of this reconfigured people of God. The sinners who put their faith in Jesus who follow him, who eat and drink with him, are the new Israel. The Pharisees who thought they were righteous, but did not put their faith in Jesus, who separate themselves from Jesus, as a result, put themselves on the outside. Traditionalists like ourselves are tempted to become Pharisees. We look back at the errors of our tradition, identify what is wrong, and then become zealous to correct them. But then we face the temptation of claiming to be the righteous and true ones while seeing others as sinners. The main reason to hold fast to the tradition is to hold fast to the authentic understanding of who Jesus is so that we can actually be saved by him. We hold on to the tradition because we want other people to be saved. Our faith is not just for us. The church exists for the salvation of the world. Our attitude towards those who are outside is not, we are good and you are bad, but come and join us. The only difference between our sin and their sin is that we have put our faith in Jesus and he is working within us through the Holy Spirit to cleanse us from all sin. 
Every Christian who's experienced this grace from God will want to share that grace with others. And this is the mission of the church. We should realize as we go about our lives from day to day as members of the body of Christ that we are also little temples. We should not be afraid of being made unclean by the sinners. Rather, by our witness to Christ in word and deed, by our love for those who some would label unclean, we participate in Jesus' work of making the unclean clean. Let us remember, therefore, as we go about life, to be little Christs and not little Pharisees. For as Jesus said, quote, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.